Hello, everyone. This is John Montoya. And this is John Parings. We are Infinite Banking Authorized Practitioners and hosts of the fifth edition. Episode 72 of the fifth edition. Today, we are honored to have a very special guest. We have the president of the Nelson Nash Institute, David Stearns, joining us. David, how you doing? Fantastic, John. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. We're thrilled to have you here on the podcast with us. And why don't we uh, go ahead and get started? Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? And uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Okay, great. Thank you. David Stearns. I am a, a strong Christian. Okay, I am the, like you said, I'm one of the co-directors of the Nelson Nash Institute and I also own Infinite Banking Concepts LLC. I met Nelson in 1979, so we go way back, and I guess we can explore that further, how that relationship developed and what it means today. But I currently live in Birmingham, Alabama. I have a beautiful wife, Kim, four children, nine grandchildren. And again, we can talk about that. I love paying premiums, that's number one. And whenever I can get more money out of my bank account, into a policy, we do it. Okay. We live IBC. It's part of our culture. We don't do business with banks. And let me just also qualify why I like paying premiums. If I was an insurance agent, I'd love paying premiums because I'd get more commission dollars on those policies that I would set up on myself. However, I am not a licensed agent. Okay. I never have been. My agent of record was Nelson Nash. And now I work with somebody else after Nelson's passing, but I am strictly a consumer of life insurance and a consumer of IBC. Okay. So hopefully that frames who I am and where I'm coming from, because even though I'm d deeply embedded in infinite making concepts, I, I always try to maintain a perspective from the computer the consumer side. Okay. Because I learned a lot from Nelson Nash. And one of the things that he taught me was you worship what you're dependent upon. And I'm not dependent upon commissions from life insurance. Okay. So I don't chase that noise. So that's, again, that that's what it's all about. Okay. Yeah. I love it. I, I love to hear your convictions and hear your values because that resonates with both of us. And hopefully it resonates with all the listeners to the show because to be invested in IBC, you, you have to have conviction in what you're doing. If you don't have that conviction, you're really not going to reap everything that you can sow within what, what can be done with IBC. So thank you for sharing your background and your core beliefs, David. One of the things that we wanted to start with was learning. We know about Nelson's book, but when, when did... IBC infinite banking really start. And that, that's a question that I know I've gotten over the years. I try to remind people whole life has been around for well over 170 plus years, but when did IBC actually start? What prompted Nelson maybe to start the book and, and the, the community? In the book, he talks about when he had the epiphany on his knees, praying after a series of tragedies in his life that almost caused him to declare bankruptcy and whatnot. So. That's when he got the idea of how to do this, but actually when he coined IBC it was in the early, it was in the early to mid nineties. Okay. 
and he he was an insurance agent. Okay, he worked for a major mutual insurance company as a captive agent, and so he was. The first thing he did was try to load up himself on, on on life insurance so he could expand his capability to borrow money from the insurance company to cover his debt and whatnot and expand his personal banking system. And and then he started looking at his client set, and he started he started when he did annual reviews with his clients, he started talking about the concept of doing this. And it, again, it wasn't coined IVC at that time in the mid nineties, but he, he got them to understand him. And most of them didn't get it and didn't want anything to do with it. Okay. And my first exposure to it was probably 1994. I was stationed at Fort Rucker, Alabama. I was an army aviator. Okay. I was a career army officer. And uh, we spent a lot of time together. He was in Birmingham. I was at, at Rucker. And one day he was, he made a, uh, uh, he had a client down around the Fort Rucker area. He said, why don't you join me? And this guy was a, was an, was a, was a uh, National Guard pilot. And so Nelson flew with him in the guard. Plus he was an instructor pilot at Rucker as a civilian. Plus he owned a restaurant. And so he was a long-term client of Nelson. So I we attended a, a conference with this client. Nelson delivered a new policy to him. And so I was just sitting there watching and listening. This, in 1994, the, the policy premium was 60,000 bucks. And, and so he handed it to this guy and he said, here, sign here. And he goes, okay. And he goes, what do I do? And I goes, well, I need a check. Okay. And so it, it, and I'm going, why we, I said, why was that? Who's going to pay a $60,000 premium? He goes, he's using it to manage money in his restaurant as first cash flow management. I'm going, what? It just, I didn't have a clue. Okay. And I, it took me 15 more years to figure it out, but that was my real first exposure. And so what he started doing after that, he started doing individual presentations with clients and whatever. Then he started doing seminars locally at, in, in Birmingham. And at this time he was, he'd moved his agency, he moved his contract to a different company. And so he used their facility to the, do these seminars. And he talks about it. He, he invites 20 people and he'd get people from all walks of life. And most of them he knew professionally. And out of the 20, maybe five or six would show up and he'd go walk through a seminar and it took him forever to do it. I, again, I sat, I sat with him, watching him do this. And he used these old VGTs. Do you know what that is? The VGT? No. It's, you go back to high school and the teacher had a overhead projector in the front of the classroom and they had the transparencies. They plopped on that thing and it showed something on a screen or they'd write on it and it projected upon a screen. Okay. He was using that to do seminars. And so he had a box of these VGTs. That's what I call them. These transparencies, which are currently now the slides in the book or the illustrations in the book. And he plop them up there and he just, he, as he's talking, he's, was going through his box trying to find the right slide <laughs> and it was, and he put it on there, be backwards. He flip it around or be upside down. He flip it over, whatever it's man. And so in 2000, he'd had a, his seminar was locked in. It took him a couple of years to get it done, but it was locked in, but he was still using mechanical devices. And I took a, an army job in Birmingham. I, we, we PCS here, permit changes station here. And the first thing I did was just now said, you want me to to go ahead and build you a PowerPoint presentation. And he goes, what's that? And I said, it's, I'll show you. So I built him this PowerPoint 
and we went out went up to, to Best Buy and bought a laptop computer and a little projector. So we, we basically brought them up into the 21st century in 2000. Okay, so in 2000, the book had been written in 1999, Becoming Your Own Banker. And now in 2000, it was out on the street, okay? And he ordered, I think, 500 copies from the print plant. And he contacted his, he had a group of advisors he was working with and whatever. And so he mailed them all a copy of the book. And most of them said, hey, great, it's really fantastic. And a couple of them said, man, send me 50 or 60 copies. And so he says, oh, okay. And so he's ordered more. And so I'm in Birmingham as an army guy doing my job. He's in Birmingham, still as an active life insurance agent, but now he's got the concept going and he's got this book out there and he's got a single page website and people are calling him on the, calling him because his phone number was on the website and said, Hey, send me a copy of the book. And he go, okay. And anyway, so he'd have a conversation with every one of them a 15 or 20 minute conversation with these people. It took, and it, so he spent all day long talking on the phone. And then after that, he got his laptop and he type out a thank you letter. In a, in a, in a, and then he'd take the book and put it in a sleeve or whatever and take them down to the post office. And so it took him all day to do this stuff. And, and he was building relationships is what he was doing, but he was also selling a product. And so he, so this is now 2021, I'm sorry, 2001. And he's, man, you got to help me with this. I can't keep up with this. I got too much going on. I'm getting phone calls ringing. I said, I'd like to help you, but 9-11 just popped. And I couldn't get out of the army, okay, after 9-11. And so I worked a little bit part-time with him, trying to help him out. And then finally in 2004, I finally retired. And he, he said, he kept pushing me to retire for three years to help him out because he needed somebody who was vested in, in what he was doing and, and it was local. So finally, 2004, I finally retired and I started working with him full time. Okay. And, and so I, I started, I took over the website and I took over all his book sales and took over everything. So he could just focus on doing seminars. Okay. Because let me take it back just a little bit, the book itself, he never sat down and says, okay, I'm going to write a book. Okay. That never, that was not on his mind. What he did was people, he was doing seminars and he did them locally. And then these people that he was building this community with started hiring him to fly out and do a seminar for their clients or prospects. Okay. So he did that and he loved it. Okay. He just absolutely loved standing up and, and, telling his story. It was, it wasn't a formal presentation. It was a story and the notes that outline that story ended up becoming the book, become your own banker because they kept saying, Hey, listen, this seminar is fantastic, but we need something physically in our hands that we can use. And so he basically just took all his notes and all his resources and he just put them together and, 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 wordsmith the whole thing into the book. And so that, that, that was the genesis of the book. And then, and then we filmed the seminar. The first one was actually filmed by somebody else, very formal filming. And it was fake, but it was Nelson way back when in probably 2000. And, and, that, and so that was used to develop a DVD. So people could buy the DVD if they couldn't get to a live seminar. So 
really 2000 was really the turning point for everything for him. And then things just exponentially exploded. Just curious, but how long or what was the length of that seminar? When he first started doing it, his intention was to do a, he believed he had some models that he followed, like Larry Wilson learning stuff like that, where they talked about progressive seminars over a period of time. And so his vision, since he thought IBC was a paradigm shift and it was something you couldn't just sit down and have a 30 minute conversation with somebody, he decided what he needed to do was he needed to give him something to chew on week one. Okay. And then for two hours, okay, here's a, here, let's, we're not going to talk about IDC. We're going to talk about different parables in life and how that relates to finance, how that relates to the flow of money, how that relates to debt and how it relates to, to control of that cash flow. And so he never talked about life insurance. He never talked about IBC. It was all about some fundamental precepts so people get their, they could chew on that. And then he said, okay, go home and we're going to meet again next week at the same time. And I'm going to give you some more information. So his intent was to create a 10 hour seminar over the course of five weeks. Okay. And, but what happened was now, and so by the time they got the ones that stuck with it, when they got to the end of it, they they had a full grasp of what this was about because they could chew on it and they could think about it. And when they came back the next week, it was Q and a and a reinforcement time. When he, when he decided to take it on the road, obviously that wasn't going to work. So what he did was he said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a 10 hour seminar. I'm going to do two hours to chew time. Okay. So they can ruminate on it. The first on a Friday night or a Thursday night. And then we're going to come back and we're going to do eight hours the next day. Okay. So it was a 10 hour seminar. And that was how, that was the fundamental setup on it because you, number one, people only had to commit to a day and a half. And number two is there was plenty of time on day two for Q and to get it down tight. Yeah. The, the reason why I asked that question is because the, you said it really well, this is a paradigm shift in thinking and the, to really grasp the enormity of IBC becoming your own banker, it requires an investment of your time. And Nelson did such an incredible job condensing all his thoughts and his wisdom into about 90 pages in his book. And I think sometimes people take for granted just the impact of what's in his book and what what he shared with the world. And we live in a in this modern world where everything is we're trying to consume everything so quickly. And IBC is something that's really different. It, it takes time to understand and, and grasp these concepts and to really have a eureka moment and own what, uh, what IBC can give you. It just, it, it can't happen in just 20 minutes or in 30 minutes. It, it, it's a process. Like we teach it's banking as a process and the investment into learning about IBC, it, it's one that ironically it pays dividends, right? It pays dividends long-term. Yeah. That, that's the reason why I ask you about the length of the seminar to give people an idea that when you are learning about IBC, there there's, it's an investment in your time, but it pays off. And we hear your convictions and we share on the show, our convictions too. And th this really becomes a lifestyle. And I just, 
hearing you share the backstory and how Nelson would teach people what he learned. It's incredible. And I just want people to appreciate that th this isn't something that you can just watch YouTube videos for 20 minutes and grasp this. You have to invest your time. You have to pick up a copy of the book. And like John and I both say, reread it. I'm constantly rereading it. And as long as it's been for me since 2007, I still open up to a chapter and I reread it. And I feel like I get something new each time. It's just so profound, his impact and his words. So yeah, thank you for explaining that. Yep. It's, you're right. It's, it's written as a conversation. Okay. And unfortunately you talk about two problems. Number one is these little bite-sized insights on what this is about. Okay. It, it's much deeper than people think it is. Okay. It's not a philosophy. It still is a way to, to free yourself. Okay. From some different forces out there that are trying to control your life. Okay. I'm not going to, I don't want to go down a revisionist path here, but but IBC, if you do it correctly, it is financial freedom, number one, and it relieves that kind of stress on your life and your family, okay, which enables you to focus on other things. Okay, so it's, and it's just too bad that YouTube and Instagram and TikTok is filled with people who, some of them might be very strong advocates of IBC, but what they're doing is they're promoting themselves, number one, Okay. And they're trying to sell IBC in order to sell life insurance number two. And some of those individuals are, don't know what they're talking about. And some of them do know what they're talking about, but they're omitting some critical information. Okay. That, that a client needs to know. Uh, that's why we, that's why we set up this, set up the Nelson Nash Institute, not to sell life insurance. Okay. We're trying to promote Nelson, and we're trying to promote IBC in its purest sense and reduce it down to the fundamental form of what it is and what it looks like. And if a, a consumer, either in Canada or the United States, sees it, hears it, or feels it, then they have an opportunity to do their due diligence and see, well, what is this all about? Is this too good to be true? Okay, if it sounds too good to be true, then guess what? It probably is. So find, do your research, okay? You know, read the, the 92-page book figure out what this is really all about and then started asking some educated questions to your financial advisor or your insurance agent whatever and see if they can defend themselves when it comes to what this is really what the real essence of ibc is about okay so it's nelson always said that this this is more something that is caught than taught okay when somebody gets it they get it in a big way Okay. And it's like, you got to slow them down because they, they want to do everything now. Okay. And some people just regard it as saying, listen, life insurance is terrible. The whole life product is antiquated. Okay. Why would I buy an antiquated product? Number one, and why would I pay the insurance company interest on my money? Okay. In the form of a policy loan loan. Okay. Guys, you, you, you don't understand what this is about. Okay. So that's anyway, what, what our, what our greatest fear is, okay, ours, Carl's Laura and I at the, at, the, at the Institute, is that our practitioners don't feel confident enough to debate anybody out there about, about IBC. Okay, that's what we want you to be able to do. I mean, if Dave Ramsey gives you a phone call, you should be able to debate him 
in any form about IVC and about whole life insurance, what that's how it works. Okay. And again, it's not about selling. It's about helping. If you help in, a, in the right way, you don't have to sell because once the public understands the problem, then they'll eagerly accept the solution. So, but anyway, Hey, David, John Pairings here. Great to have you on. I wanted to just jump in. <clears throat> and you brought up a, a great topic that we have written down here as something we wanted to discuss. Is, and you touched on it already, but in your mind, what's the big difference between the Nelson Nash Institute and authorized practitioners versus some of the other stuff you see out there? I think it'd be great for people to hear that directly from you in well, terms of what those yeah, things are. Uh, number one, the practitioners are vested in Nelson Nash and his legacy. Okay. They don't stand behind anybody but him. They don't project themselves as somebody who has a rival syndrome. Okay. They are humble enough to say, this is the man who started this and this is who I'm indebted to for what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Uh, and that's, that, that is a critically important for us. Number two is the, the Institute is not a sales program or a marketing program. It's, it's, it's fundamentally educational in nature and the vast majority of the resources that we provide are free to the public. Okay. In the form of either podcasts, videos, or articles or whatever. Okay. And our methodology and philosophy is to educate the public. Okay. And if I educate the public and they come back to me and says, okay, I'm educated now. What do I do next? Right. It's time to implement the concept and I go find somebody. <laughs> okay. Right. And, no, implement the concept. Okay. This is what you've learned. Okay. Here's somebody who's learned the same thing to a higher degree and they've committed themselves to the, to the program. So obviously this is a, the individual you need to talk to. And you're referring to the authorized infinite banking practitioners listed on the website. The authorized practitioners. And again, we, they're listed by state of residence. Okay. And so you can find somebody by state. Now, obviously if somebody wants to, if, a, if an agent wants to become a practitioner, then it's how many hits am I going to get? How many leads am I going to get generated? Well, it depends on you. Right. Okay. It depends on who you are. It depends how you project yourself. Depends on what type of media you use or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But what surprised me, okay, when we set this thing up and we offered these listings for authorized practitioners for the public to find, typically, I think that a lot of people do not look for a practitioner. What they do is they try to validate somebody they've seen either on YouTube or somebody they've talked to or somebody they've done business with who's a financial planner. Is that person listed as a practitioner or not? And so they use my website, my finder as a vetting tool and they don't find the individual there. So they move on and then they find somebody who's, who is listed. So yeah. that kind of surprised me because I thought they'd be looking for somebody right off the get go, but typically that's what happens. Yeah. And so one of the questions that'll, that I've gotten a couple of times is someone will contact me and they'll say, Hey, I see you're listed on the Nelson Nash site. Like, why should I care? Basically, like, what's the difference between you and someone that I found on YouTube, whatever. So like for someone, we obviously care. We care about upholding the legacy because that's important. We care about 
continuing on with what IBC was originally meant for and the principles of, of IBC. We, of course, care about that. But why should someone who just learned about infinite banking, why should they care about working with an authorized practitioner versus like someone who just has a bunch of YouTube videos? You should care about it. You, should, you know that you're going to get the right support. Okay. The right education. You know, you're going to get the right product set. Okay. We've been talking about permanent whole life from mutual and company. We still think that is the absolute best product set for privatized banking or infinite banking because of stability and the guarantees. Okay. If you find somebody else on YouTube or whatever, you don't know what you're going to get. If they say, what kind of product am I getting? You're getting the best product. It could be a UL, for example, or something like that. And, and they, and that's what they like to sell. So that's what they, they'll defend that and say, this is a better banking tool than a permanent product because of X, Y, Z. And I mean, you're, you don't know, you're a consumer. So if you want to make sure and feel comfortable and confident that you're getting the best support and product, then you got to do a practitioner. And also, I don't know how many clients that you guys have, but typically in my mind, from seeing and talking to authorized practitioners, if you're doing this right as a practitioner, it's hard to manage more than 200 clients as an IBC professional, because it's not just policy design and policy delivery. You better be coaching those people, your clients from here on out. You got to coach them. You got to, it's not delivery and walk. Okay. Because. I find myself slipping also and doing something stupid or forgetting how to do something because I'm not doing it every single day where you guys are. Okay. So a practitioner, authorized practitioner better be vested in supporting that client from here on out. Okay. And it takes constant coaching on how to utilize that policy as a, as a, as a banking mechanism is critically important. Okay. And also, if you do that, what is that going to do? It's going to lead to, lead to referrals too, obviously. And most of the people that, that I work with that are authorized practitioners that are the old school guys that have been doing it for a long time, they, the lion's share of their business, their new business is referrals or just repeat policies from somebody because they, they take that time invested that coaching support. The last the last think tank, which uh, we have an annual uh, think tank for authorized practitioners where we all get together. Uh, it's been in Birmingham, Alabama for a long time. And the one of the focus of the last couple anyway has been policy design. So one of the big things that we deal with as IBC practitioners with all the various sources of information, information can be good or bad. All those various sources of information, one of the things that was a takeaway from this last think tank was a focus on a little bit on policy design. Now, and of course, the Nelson Nash Institute doesn't take a heavy hand on, hey, this is how you have to do things, which I think is good. But I think some of the maybe social media people who are not part of the Nelson Nash Institute are really just riding the coattails of infinite banking, in my opinion. They don't even know about it. They're taught a whole different way or they've figured out a whole different way to talk about it. It really just boils down to how to look at the cash value. That's the only thing they, they really look at. But what are your thoughts on helping people who are getting hyper-focused on policy design? And what are your thoughts on policy design for the Nelson Nash Institute and authorized practitioners? It's... It 
I had a phone call yesterday from this gentleman from California. And who is he? I'll get him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. I, he, I don't it was know. Montoya, wasn't it? <laughs> well, he, I mean, he, I get calls all the time from people, and some of them are insurance agents who are pretending like they're consumers. Okay. But anyway, he said, Hey, this is great. I love this stuff, but I'm too old to implement it. I said, How old are you? He said, 55. I said, I'm sorry. And he started laughing. Amazing. <laughs> and he goes, because it's going to take me so long to build cash. I said, da, 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 da. And, I, and I said, listen, I said, I bought a policy two months ago and try to guess how old I am. And he goes, I don't know, 50. I said, I'm 69. Okay. I said, why would I buy a policy if I'm 69 years old? Okay. So think, so I'm trying to get this guy to think about what we're talking about. And he goes, gee, I don't, I don't know. I said, I don't have, I don't have a need for any more banking capacity, but I do have a need to insure a grandchild. Okay. And set her up for her future and also put more of a commodity banking commodity capability in my son's portfolio. And he goes, I don't know. What are you talking about? I said, I'm talking about banking. Okay. I'm not talking about life insurance. And so going back to your question. Okay. So what does right look like? Okay. Should I invest in a policy that's got a, that out of the premium, 90% of it is paid up additions rider and 10% is base, or should I invest in something differently? It depends. Okay. How old are you? Okay. What, what are your, what are your fundamental goals in life? What are, what are your financial goals? What, do you, what does it look like? What are you trying to accomplish? Unfortunately, the YouTubers and the TikTokers, they say, you're getting ripped off. Okay. If your cash surrender value on day one isn't X percentage of your premium, you're getting ripped off. Okay. And so the public says, this number is bigger than that number. So they're right. By the way, you're getting ripped off because those other guys are making more commission than I am because the lion's share of the commission comes from the base premium, not the PUA. So I'm doing you a favor. Boom. Okay, you're my guy or gal or whatever. Okay, fast forward four years. Okay, I want to do a policy loan to buy a new GMC pickup truck. Okay, yeah, I've cash surrendered by I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow the money, I borrow it. Okay, I'm gonna start repaying and all the different mechanisms in these policies, the dividend scales, the insurance, the insurance uh, companies, interest rate charges on loan policies, but, uh, all add up to guess what? If you do X, Y, Z, your policy is going to mech. Okay. Oh, uh, all these different little mechanisms within the, the insurance policy construct, they just start floating to the surface. And now I have a policy that I had a great first year, second year, third year cash surrender value. Now, essentially, I really can't use it for anything I want to use it for because it's so razor thin, I can't use it. Okay. Or I was, I didn't understand this as a client because nobody told me that, yeah, it's a, it's not going to met today or tomorrow or the, or the next day, but I'm going to have to reduce premium over the course of the policy. So it, it will not mech. And, and if you guys need a mech explanation, you can handle that. But anyway, so what I was an uneducated client listening to somebody who was telling me either the truth or telling me what they thought was the truth. 
And now I'm stuck with it with something that I really cannot use as a banking mechanism for the remainder of my life or a generational transfer, because there's again, nuances. Okay. That's And our guys know that if they don't, then please tell me. And a 90 cent might work for somebody perfectly for them, depending upon again, who they are, because it, I focus again, like you said, on the consumer, I focus on the average American or average Canadian. And I focus on somebody who wants to build a system of policies, not just one. Okay. And they want to have coverage. Everybody needs death coverage, everybody, period. That's gotta be, that's gotta be adhered to and taken care of. And also those policies need to be a lasting legacy for the next generation in the following generation. Okay. What does that look like on policy design? You tell me, okay. And it's not a 90, 10. (laughs) No, that I think you're hitting the nail on the head and that's Montoya. And I talk about this all the time and it really does come down to what the client needs. But I will say that with all the, what I would call incomplete or inaccurate information out there, A lot of times the client thinks they need one thing, but if they understand the strategies around having the presence of a permanent life insurance death benefit, all of a sudden that death benefit starts to, you start to understand that actually is where the value comes from. That's where the cash value comes from. It comes from the death benefit. And then there are all kinds of strategies, retirement strategies, income strategies, all these things that you can do with a guaranteed um, permanent death benefit that you can't do as well or at all without it. I think that went, I think that resonated pretty well with a lot of people at the think tank this last year. And so I was uh, appreciative of, of some of that work that went into some of the talks we had this year. Nelson bullet down to, to five principles. Okay. So you check the box with those five principles. And if you want to do, if you want to own a bank, you want the bank to be, a stable long-term entity that you can use forever. Okay. So with that in mind, what should, which is your policy look like? Right. What should your policies look like? That's all it is. And then also another pet peeve I have is Nelson said, do, uh, finally do not do business with banks because they'll own you. Okay. Especially if you're a business owner and you, and you have a line of credit and you turn into a note or whatever, you're, they'll, they'll own it eventually. Why would somebody take out a loan to fund the policy, like a bank loan? Isn't that contradictory to the whole concept of being, becoming your own banker? Why would somebody, I didn't even know people it? were doing that. People are taking bank loans to fund a policy. Bank loans to fund a policy. Why would somebody have a HELOC? And use yeah. the HELOC to borrow money to fund a policy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Those are some of the things that just don't make sense to me. And yet it, some people defend that we're trying to jumpstart it so they can, they can, because they can't afford a, a large premium. Well, yeah, I, I think it, it boils down to their, their mindset and that high, high time frequency. They're, they're thinking um, of what they're essentially doing is chasing yield mm-hmm. and they're it's like an investment. And the, one of the things that we try to really 
uh, implore is that th- this is this is a contract. It's not an investment, right? And we're, we're if you're chasing yield, you're doing yourself a disservice, and you need to step back because you don't grasp the bigger picture. And what Nelson was really great at was over and over again, reminding people that you have to think long-term. And one of my favorite things to remind people is that you have to build a, an economic foundation, a base. Like when, you, when you're building a house, you, you start with the foundation. And the, the mindset where you're thinking about going out and getting a, a line of credit to jumpstart a policy it, it it just doesn't jive. It doesn't work. And so part of our part of what we're trying to do as IBC practitioners is help people to step back and see the bigger picture, like how Nelson taught us to do. And I think for me, w- one of my favorite Nelson stories is how, how he told me, called me up early in the morning back in 2007, I asked him a question about direct versus non-direct because I thought that was important in reference to dividends. And he called me up much to my surprise after I sent him an email. And after introducing himself, he said, son, you're majoring in the minors. And he set me straight right from the get-go. And that's resonated with me really to this point and to the rest of my life. He helped me step back and see the bigger picture. And so uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you, David, is, is do you have a, a favorite saying of Nelson that you hear him in your head, like how he told me, son, you're majoring in the minors. Do you have a saying that you could share with us? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, I'm sure. And in one of them, it, it, this might sound negative, but here, here it is. You ready? Lies. Okay. So, oh, Okay. And he, of course, he's from Georgia, so he had a very strong Southern accent. Lies, lies. And then he, and then he talked about the fear factory. Okay. And you see it on the news every single day. Fear. Most of the, those, they're trying to generate dependency. Okay. By, by scaring you. And so he said, listen, everything's fine. Everything's good. Okay. Just... Stop listening to the noise. Noise is a, another connotation he kept talking about. And don't listen to the lies. Understand what's really going on. Educate yourself. Okay. And then focus on the solution. Okay. At, at the UME level. And like you alluded to before, these policies are not money accounts. There's no money in a policy. And like you said, it's a contract. And it's a contract between an individual and a, a company. Okay, there's no intermediary in there. There's no, it's not a government plan. Okay, you don't have to ask permission to do anything with these contracts. It, it cuts out the middleman. It cuts out the government. These accounts, are, if they're handled properly, are equals freedom. Okay, and it gets you away from that noise. So, yeah. It's, uh, Nelson was re- remarkable because he was he was taught in parables and taught he used analogies a lot. Obviously, the, the grocery store most people never figured out what he was talking about with the grocery store. Okay, and he'd say, "Listen, if you're going to be an honest banker, then you need to understand how to run a business because you're creating a business." And so the grocery store analogy 
was about managing and correctly and developing and building and using a business correctly, i.e. your own banking system for a series of policies. That's what it's about. And so that's what made him. Um, and, you know, I learned a lot from him, obviously, since I was in the military. I only saw him two or three times a year up until about the mid-90s. And then when we moved to Birmingham in 2000, I spent almost every day with him, okay, until he passed. And, and he would, one of the things that he would do, and I finally figured this out, okay, if he thought something was really important that you had to know, he didn't beat you over the head with it. He'd just drop a couple of hints out there and see if you picked up on it or not. And if you picked up on it and you came back and you were like asking questions or trying to qualify what he, he was getting at, then he was only baiting the hook. So you do your own discovery and you do your own learning. Okay. That's, he was really good at that. But anyway, going back to one of the initiatives that we're doing here at the Institute, we're doing two things. Okay. We've, I've got this council of uh, practitioners that we, I put together to help me look at, help me and Carlos Laura, look at the, look at what we're doing and where we need to be going in the future. And so we're coming up with a three-year strategic plan. Okay. And we're going to, whatever resources are needed to support that will be decided upon also. And so we're doing two things immediately. The first thing we're doing is I'm investing in a, in YouTube platform because we do have a channel out there, but obviously it's not very active because we're not a bunch of YouTube enablers like we should be, but you know, we're investing in that and we're committed to putting out a lot of content on a weekly basis and a monthly basis going forward. And that content looks like Nelson Nash. Okay. It's not me talking like I am now. It's Nelson Nash talking because I have hours and hours of unpublished videos on Nelson that, I've, that we've been waiting to curate and get out there. And so it's going to be bite-sized stuff that helps cut down the noise on these social media platforms because you're going to be hearing it and seeing the man talk himself about this stuff. Stay tuned for that. Okay. And the second piece is trying to develop a better mentoring program because no matter who you are, you need somebody to mentor you, regardless of your experience level of your age or whatever. And we do have a mentoring program for our RDC practitioners, but it is not what I want it to be. And so that's going to be strengthened and revamped and, and hopefully that will be out in the next year so we can create a better community within the, the practitioner community. Anything you could say about the changes you might want to make with that, or is that something for a, an, our next podcast interview? <laughs> it was, it's still right now. It's just discussion. Okay. Yeah. Every three weeks. And we talk, when I say we, I'm talking about my six guys that I'm working with and we talk about ideas, what it looks like now, how it can be better. And I, I always thought that we needed a stronger implementation training program. Okay. All this education is great that we're teaching, but let's take it and let's create a, something that, that a new practitioner can, can follow a, something more structured. Okay. Yeah. And then once they develop them, their, their personalities and develop their, their strength and weak points and whatever, they can expand it in whatever direction they want to go. So it's focused on something like that. Yeah. Cause a lot of times a new authorized practitioner, sometimes a new agent, which was the case for me. 
Um, you know, you get, you get these people who learn about IBC and they make a whole career change <laughs> like I did. And uh, you come in and luckily I, John Montoya was generous enough with his time to help me get started with contracting and all that stuff. But then also at the Nelson Nash Institute, you just, even as it is now, I learned so much from it. And so I think just like life insurance, there's no better time to start than today. And we do have agents that listen to this podcast. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what's the process to get started and to become authorized. The, the process is simply reach out to, to me, reach out to, to us at the Institute uh, and start, start a dialogue. Okay. The only prerequisite we have for somebody to apply for the practitioner program is to have an active life license in their state or, or residence or their, their province in Canada. And that, that serves as, as a background check. And also the only people we want to be practitioners are individuals who can service their clients themselves. Yeah. Okay. I don't want somebody out there promoting themselves, passing off leads that they, they generate from our uh, organization and so go to the website, infinitebanking.org, go to the practitioner program page off the training tab, read the process for applying, submit your IBC practitioner agreement to me via email. We'll have a phone call, find out who you are, where you are in your, your professional life. And like you said, a lot of these people are new people. They're making a career change because they've done it as they've done it themselves. And they, they see that it's, it, 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 not only it works, but it, it frees them and provides them a sense of peace. And they want to take that out to the community. Um, and so then we have a conversation and it's okay. We'll, we'll set up an interview for you as an applicant for the program. And Carlos and I interview via zoom typically takes an hour and find out exactly why they want to be a practitioner. That's more important than who you are. It's like, why do you want to do this? Are you looking just because you want another lead generator? We don't want you. Okay. Are you going to, are you going to misrepresent the source? We don't want you. Are you going to sell the wrong product set? We don't want you. Okay. Are you trying to just generate to become a practitioner so you can hang another certificate on your wall? We don't want you. Anyway, if they're, if we accept them, then we notify them. Okay. We've accepted you in the program with the precondition that before you actually join as a full member, you, you got to work with a mentor, just like you work with John Montoya. And so you pass the test that we have a, a, a course that's a 14 module course that online pass the test. And then you start working with that mentor. And I don't care who you are. If we, if you're told that you have to work with a mentor and that mentor has to approve you to be, become a full member, then, then we listen to the mentor. That's the person that, that has the authority to get you on board. Okay. And, and then once you join, you pay an annual membership fee. Okay. And we don't take overrides on your production because we're not an insurance company. We're not licensed agents. All we do is we, we live on uh, course enrollment fees and membership dues is what we live on. And of course we sell, I sell books also, obviously. So, yeah. so that it's, it's, that, that's what it's all about. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a community. Okay. A, a like of like-minded professionals that can rely upon each other and get community support. So you alluded to the think tank. We're talking think tank now. 
for 2000 we're dates we're talking locations we're talking about format we're to end we're talking about what's our target audience i.e how many people are we looking at having there and and how can and what's the what's the the general theme of the 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 think tank going to be stuff like that stay tuned for that well a, a cool quick story on my end i was a i don't know what you'd call it and maybe an amateur Austrian economist where I was just super into Austrian economics, spent ton, a lot of years reading it. And that's how I learned about infinite banking through Bob Murphy. And of course, then I spent years practicing IBC, thanks to John Montoya, who wrote my first policy. And so then of course, Nelson Nash was on my mind and then I decided to get into this business. So my interview call with all of you I got to, I was on a zoom call with like all these people that had really helped change my mind. Nelson Nash was on it. Uh, you were on it. Carlos Lara was on it. Bob Murphy was on it. And so I had this really cool experience of doing this. It was a zoom call at the time with all of you. And it was, it was pretty awesome for those folks who've been doing IBC and thinking about getting into it. It's a pretty cool experience and good to make sure you're synced up with the principles of the Nelson Nash Institute. Mm. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not non-threatening, just a conversation, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We're still doing that. We're, we're probably going to into another initiative again is we're probably going to have some sort of portal created so somebody can go in the portal and they can provide all their information digitally up front to enable us to get a better idea who they are, even before we pick up the telephone and talk to them. Yeah. So bring it to the 22nd century, but same process as what you, you went through. John was, John Montoya was pre-interview time since she interviewed a gal yesterday or Wednesday. And she was just freaking amazing. And she wrote me a beautiful letter after we accepted her. And she said all the right things. I tell you what, and again, they're the more the people that are applying for our program are convicted. Okay. That's the big thing. It's not, okay, I need another sales system. I need, I need another credential. There are people that are convicted to the movement. They're convicted to the, the concept. Okay. The, and they're convicted to privatized banking and they, they want to get it right. So, you know, it's great. So anyway, that's that. <clears throat> David, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Your wisdom that you share with us. I can, I can hear Nelson through you. And it's just an incredible gift that Nelson was in the legacy that you carry on. And John and I, we try to carry that, that legacy on in what we do in connecting with people and teaching IBC the right way. So it's just an incredible honor to have you here with us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Thanks so it. much, David. Anytime, man. let's get together again if you want to. Sounds Thank good. You. All right, everybody. This has been a great talk. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with David Stearns, the president of the Nelson Nash Institute. And if you liked what you heard or any of this is resonating with you and you'd like to learn more about how it could apply in your life personally, just uh, reach out to John and me, go to, go to the fifth edition.com and you can schedule a 30 minute, no obligation consultation with us. And we can talk about you. So once again, thank you very much, David. Thank you, John. We'll, we'll see you guys soon.